0: Good to see everybody. This is the uh, first time I've been up here with the spotlight, so I may be blind by the end of the morning, um, but I can see most of you. Hello there. How you doing? Well, it may be a little premature, but I can't wait. Merry Christmas. Um, This is an exciting time of year. Uh, The the Toma household loves Christmas uh, this year. I've put up probably more lights at our house uh, than ever And I'm chomping at the bit to put more up, but I'm running out of time, so uh, I trust that you're enjoying the season as well. Uh, Today is the uh, third week in Advent, and uh, by way of reminder, uh, Advent uh, comes from the Latin word Adventus, which means coming or arrival, and the season is marked by hope or expectation. And it's a remarkable season because it's a time of waiting and anticipation and longing. And it links us to the past as well as to the future. And in linking us to the past, what we're really doing is we're entering into the the hope that the people of Israel had in awaiting the coming Messiah, And it links us to the future because we are eagerly anticipating Christ's second coming in which he will return to take us home. Well, 2020 has been a crazy year, hasn't it? It has presented us with unprecedented challenges. We have learned to live uh, in the age of COVID. We've learned to wear masks to social distance, and to bathe and hand sanitizer. We have watched businesses be shuttered, travel be restricted, and people have lost jobs and in some cases, their life savings. Depression and suicide is rampant. People are coping with fear, with sickness and even death. And on top of that, this year, we have had a great deal of political turmoil. We have had social unrest. We've had violent crime, increased crime. And I'm just scratching the surface. Now that's one way of looking at 2020. There's another way to look at 2020. Because this year has also given us incredible opportunities to learn and to grow. So how have you spent the past 12 months? I really think that it's fitting for us to be closing the year out with Advent because Advent reminds us that despite our challenges, our difficulties, and loss, we can still experience hope and peace and joy and love. That's what Advent is all about. No matter what you are facing or going through, Jesus is our Emmanuel, our God with us. And because he is with us, we can face discouragement. We can find joy even in the midst of our discouragements. Would you pray with me? Father, I do thank you for this morning. I thank you for your kindness and your mercy and your great love in sending your son Jesus to earth so long ago so that we might enter into a relationship with you where we might be forgiven of our sin, adopted into your family, given purpose in life. And Lord, to have the hope that one day you will return to take us home. Father, I pray that you would just encourage our hearts this morning as we look at your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. How many of you have gone or been to Yellowstone National Park? A few of you, okay? Uh, my wife and I had a chance to go there a couple of years ago uh, for our 25th wedding anniversary. We spent part of it there, and it is truly a beautiful uh, and amazing place. Dangerous, too. <laughs> if you've you've not been there, you really... You can't understand how dangerous this place can be. We were there right before they closed down for the winter. You can imagine what the winters are like there if you got stuck there. But you don't have to wait for the winter to find danger. Um, Here are some of the ways that we found danger. Um, We got up close and personal with a lot of wildlife while we were there. Um, This picture just took right outside my car, uh, right across the road. It was right there, but they are everywhere. And, And the crazy tourists have no clue. Because they're, they're standing out there. They're trying to walk up to these wild animals to get a picture as close as they can. And no wonder every year it seems like somebody gets run over by, you know, a bison or an elk. Um, uh, and even chased by a bear. So, um, but that's not the only one. Here's another one. Uh, <laughs> this has got an incredible story behind it. Some of you maybe have heard. My wife and I, we were at Mammoth Springs And the elk are just everywhere. So I'm standing in the middle of the parking lot and there's this big bull that's probably no more than 50 yards away. And all of a sudden I I hear this voice say, sir, uh, you may want to get in the back of the truck. And (laughs) total oblivious, I, I heard it again. "'Sir, you may want to get in the back of the truck.'" I looked over. It was the park ranger, and he was talking to me. And he's he's telling me, "'Get in the back of the truck.'" Well, I didn't own a truck, but I figure if the park ranger says, "'Get in the truck,' it's okay to hop in somebody else's truck.'" So I did. I got in the back of the truck, and no sooner did I get in the truck, than this elk comes charging my way and actually runs between the truck that I was in and the car that was parked right next to it. So he saved me from being run over. Um and uh but that was an incredible one. The first animal we saw was a real um sight, a grizzly bear. And uh, I took this with my iPhone. So I, I wasn't that far away, but I was far enough away that I could get into my car real quick. So that's just some of the danger of Yellowstone. But that's not all uh, that Yellowstone um, has to, to offer in the way of danger. I don't know if you realize it, but Yellowstone actually is sitting on top of a supervolcano. And that's why there are so many hot springs and geysers that are there in Yellowstone, all over the park. Intense heat is working its way up from the, from the earth out of the surface of, of the earth into the air, and it's an amazing sight. Um, this was incredible, Boiling River. Um, my wife and I went swimming there. The, keep in mind, this is near the end of September. That water is cold, but because you have hot water streaming into it, there are places where you can actually sit and bathe and enjoy a nice lazy day in the river. And then, of course, uh, we also have uh, Old Faithful. Old Faithful is probably the most famous geyser in the world. It shoots water and steam upwards to 180 feet into the air quite an amazing sight. Um, the geyser erupts also about 20 times a day like clockwork. But in addition to Old Faithful, there are a lot of other pools and, and puddles and places where you'll see hot air making its way up through the surface. The picture you see here is referred to as a mud pot. And there's lots of these all over the place. And the colors will differ depending on what minerals actually exist in it. Uh, this one here happens to be kind of a grayish brown goo. Uh, and it's just bubbling. Almost if you picture a pot of sauce on your stove, just bubbling. That's exactly what it, what it looks like. But my favorite is one called the Grand Prismatic. This is just an unbelievable picture, uh, of colors. Um, and, and, and you can see it's almost a rainbowish type color, but that's one of the most beautiful things I I think I've ever seen, but you don't want to fall in it because you'll die. I mean, this is water that is well above boiling. And right about now you're saying, Paul, why are you talking so much about geysers? It's because, to me, when I think about geysers and water being superheated and charged so that it has to find an outlet, it reminds me of joy. It reminds me of the joy that we have been given by God that must find an outlet in our lives. Um, You guys... Many of you have known the Lord for a long time. Do you remember that song, um, Peace Like a River? Remember that one? you know, there's peace like a river, there's joy like a fountain, uh, love like an ocean. You know, you sing all three of those things, and then at the end, you get, you combine them all, you know, and, and they got hand motions to it as well, you know. So, it's, I've got peace like a river, I've got peace like a river, uh, I've got, this is a river, uh, peace like a river in my soul, right? That goes, like well, well, the end goes, I've got peace like a river, I've got joy like a Fountain. I've got love like an ocean in my soul. Notice the difference between the ocean and the river. Okay. So you remember, okay. All right. Well, maybe you don't remember that song. Um, do you remember uh, I've got a river of life? Remember that one? I've got a river of life flowing out of me. Remember that goes like that? Oh, come on. Well, I know you know this one. I've got that joy, joy, joy. Right, I've got that joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. I've got that joy. You, yeah, yeah. Give yourself a hand. You knew that one. Good job. <clears throat> Those songs again remind me of joy is a fountain. You know that that it, it's like a river flowing through us. And it has to find an outlet. And Galatians chapter 5 tells us that joy is a byproduct of the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. And and like water, it, it has to find release, it has to find a way out. Now, for some people, it might be an eruption like Old Faithful, for other people, it might be a slow, steady bubbling. Everybody doesn't respond the same way. But if you know Christ, there is joy within you that needs to find expression. Jesus, in teaching his disciples, uh, said this in John 15, verse 11 These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. And then the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans said this, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of joy in the Christmas story. But what makes it so wonderful is the context that it is set against it is manifested in the midst of longing and disappointment, hardship, and suffering. Luke's Christmas story begins with a prophet named Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth. I'm sure you're, you're familiar with it, but in Luke chapter one, verse five, we read, in the days of Herod, king of Judah, As we look at the story this morning, we need to understand that Israel was a conquered nation. They didn't enjoy the freedoms that we do here in this country. They were in subjection to Rome. And here we're introduced to Herod, the prideful puppet king who kept his own people under harsh Roman rule. Making matters worse, there were religious zealots who made it difficult for everybody else. And then there was also political and religious infighting among the Jewish people, particularly among the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Essenes and the priests. And then Elizabeth and Zachariah had their own personal hardship and struggle. They were now old well past childbearing years but they still had to deal with the disappointment and the shame of not being able to have children that however is about to change if you remember the story the angel Gabriel came and visited Zachariah and told him that God has heard your prayers you will have a son and he will be great and he will be the forerunner of one who comes after him and of course this is wonderful news only is thinking how can this be I mean my wife and I we're, we're old we can't have kids anymore how should I know what you're telling me is really gonna happen and of course the angel says hey I was sent here to give you that message And you should have believed it. But because you didn't, you're not going to be able to speak until the day your son is born. And so he walks out and everybody who sees him walking out of the temple realizes he has had an encounter and he can't speak. Now his wife, I think, was a little bit more receptive to the news because we end up reading in Luke chapter 1 verse 24... That after these days his wife Elizabeth conceived and for five months she kept herself hidden saying, thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Luke tells us in verse 24 that Elizabeth went into hiding for five months. You ever wonder why? Why did she do that? Well, the scripture doesn't tell us, but I suppose there are a lot of possible reasons why Elizabeth would have done this. Maybe it had something to do with the disgrace and the reproach that she refers to here in this passage. We know that not being able to have children in those days and in that culture was a big deal, it was a huge deal and she was unable to have children. No doubt, their hopes for a family faded a long time ago. And she bore the stigma of being barren for all of these years. So maybe she went into hiding, because she didn't know how to to deal with, with all of this. It's possible that there were miscarriages in her past. Maybe there was a degree of fear that I don't know if this one will make it. And she wanted to wait until things looked better for her. We don't know. Or maybe she just wanted to spend five months away praising God for what he did for her. But it's interesting that she spent that much time away. Now, if this were a movie... Right about now, we would get a narrator come on the scene who would say something like this. Meanwhile, back in Galilee, <laughs> because what happens? Well, in Galilee, the angel Gabriel makes another appearance. He gives another announcement, this time to Mary, and he delivers even more incredible news. Look at, with me at verse 30 of chapter 1. The angel says, Do not be afraid, Mary. And his kingdom, there will be no end. Mary received the news willingly and humbly. But you got to figure at some point she realized that this is going to cost her. I mean, just think about how her life is about to change. She's engaged to Joseph to be married, betrothed to Joseph And now she finds herself pregnant. And Joseph and her had not been together. The scorn and the shame that she would face from family and friends and even from her fiance would be overwhelming. Let me ask you, how do you you convince somebody? If you were Mary, how would you convince somebody that you were faithful? That the baby growing in your womb is God's son. I mean, that'd be a hard sell, wouldn't it? Well, maybe that's why Joseph didn't believe it when he first heard it too. That he was going to secretly put her away, to divorce her, which is what they did in that culture. Engagement was just about like being married. Maybe that's why after Gabriel tells Mary about her uh, relative Elizabeth's miraculous uh, baby that's on the way, that Mary makes haste to go and see her. Maybe Mary thought, if if anyone is going to believe me, it'll, it'll be Elizabeth. And if so, she was right. And this is where we begin to see joy erupt against the backdrop of discouragement and difficulty. We see great joy bursting through for these mothers-to-be. Look at what Luke tells us in verse 41 and 44. He says, And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. What a relief this must have been for Mary. To make this arduous trek to see Elizabeth, she didn't have to explain. She didn't have to worry about would she be understood or not. She simply said, hello. And Elizabeth knew. And Elizabeth responded in the way that she had hoped. And even the baby knew and leapt for joy within her. Can you imagine what that scene must have been like? These two women coming together sharing with each other the stories that we've read about, of the angel coming and telling him this wonderful news and now seeing it come to fruition and wondering where will this lead? What else is God going to do? Luke chapter 1 verse 46 through 45 reveals to us that Mary's joy came bursting through as she lifted her voice in thanksgiving and praise. This is also often referred to as Mary's Magnificat. It's a song of praise. And she says, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. What an amazing passage of scripture this is. In the midst of personal pain, And heartache and discouragement and suffering, we find great joy. Mary has found great joy and nothing can take it away from her. Now, there's a lot that we can take away from this passage of scripture, but I'd like to suggest three things, three takeaways, three things that we can apply to our lives. The first is, It's okay to be joyful. Now, you would think that's a no-brainer. We all know that. I'm afraid we don't. I'm afraid there are some people who don't understand that it's okay to be joyful. Some people, for one reason or another, may have found it difficult to be joyful Maybe, if that's you, you see emotion as a sign of weakness. I know that, that I came out of a family where, where my father did not show emotion, except for anger. You just didn't see if he was happy or joyful. Maybe you are too busy to be joyful, You're so engrossed in work and maybe even preparations for the holiday, you haven't slowed down enough to allow yourself to be joyful. And then there are some people who are just afraid to be joyful. And if I were to be perfectly blunt with you, I I struggle with this area. Because ever since I was a kid growing up, I I kept expecting things to go wrong. I I felt like I could not really open up and be happy and joyful about what was happening in my life because the minute that, that I do, the other shoe's gonna drop. And then I'm going to be extremely discouraged and despondent. Some people are afraid to experience and express joy because they're just waiting for something bad to happen in their life. And that's a terrible way to go through life. Maybe you're here this morning or watching online and and joy during the Christmas season just doesn't seem to work for you. Maybe there are painful memories. Maybe you are experiencing grief. Are feeling discouraged by everything that has happened this year. But just as Elizabeth and Mary found a way to express their joy in the midst of their discouragement, so too must we. I want us to consider what Jesus says in Luke chapter 2, verse 10. The angel appears to the shepherds here, and he says, Fear not for behold i bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all the people for unto you is born this day in the city of david a savior who is christ the lord I want you to think about that for a moment. Think about these two verses. I bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all of the people. That includes you and me. And what is that great joy for us? A Savior has been born. Why do we need a Savior? Because we are sinners, separated from God. And unless God took the initiative to redeem us and rescue us from our sin, we would forever be separated from God for all of eternity. If there was nothing else in life to be joyful about, this would be enough you put that on a scale versus all of our problems, all of our difficulties, all of our struggles. And this far outweighs these. And if we would focus on this, we would find ourselves much more joyful than we are. Christ came that first Christmas day And he brought us hope and peace and love and joy and salvation. He has given us his spirit and spiritual gifts. He has clothed us in his righteousness. He has given us his word. Empowered us for service. And Paul tells us he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. In Christ you see our longing for joy is a desire that I believe God placed in our hearts which is meant to reflect the joy that he has God is a joyful God in Zephaniah we're told that he rejoices over us with dancing that God gets so excited over us that he does pirouettes, he spins, he dances, and shouts over us. Give yourself permission to be joyful this Christmas, will you? It's okay to be joyful. And the joy that Elizabeth and and Mary experienced made all their past problems worth it. But it also fortified them for what lay ahead. And that leads us to our second takeaway this morning. The joy of the Lord is our strength. You've probably heard that statement before. How many of you have heard that? The joy of the Lord is our strength, okay? But do you know where it comes from? comes from the book of Nehemiah. Of all places, the book of Nehemiah. We studied Nehemiah a couple years ago. It was an amazing little book. Nehemiah was an Israelite and an official uh, in the court out in Babylon where he was in exile. And he served King Artaxerxes. And in 445 BC, the Persian King Artaxerxes allowed Nehemiah to go back to his home back to Jerusalem to rebuild the city walls. It is an incredible story of how they overcame adversity and opposition. And in chapter 8, the people gathered together as one man. I can't even picture all the people coming together there in Jerusalem, but they did. And Ezra the priest brought out the book of the law and began to read it in the hearing of all the people. As he reads, the people began to weep. Now I'm sure that there were tears of joy, but most of the people were crying because they realized what their sin had cost them. They recognized that the whole reason why they went into captivity is because they rebelled against God. They, they left their first love and the city was in ruins. The temple was destroyed and, and they're hearing God's word be read. And the scripture tells us that they read it from early morning until like noon. They just listened to the reading of God's word and it prompted them to cry. But then Nehemiah and Ezra tell them, do not mourn or weep. Now there's a time for for mourning and there's a time for rejoicing. And here he says, do not mourn or weep. And in verse 10 of Nehemiah 8, this is what he says. Go your way. Eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready for this day is holy to our Lord and do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Despite their failings, Despite their sin and the great opposition, they succeeded in rebuilding the wall. And now Nehemiah says, it's time to celebrate. Why? It's simple. Nehemiah is saying, look at what God has done. Look at what God has done. He has brought us back To our homeland, to our city. The temple has been rebuilt. The walls have been rebuilt. He is restoring us. And I think there's a lesson here for us because we too can be overcome with discouragement. We too can feel guilt and shame over past mistakes. And we too need to be reminded there's a time to celebrate. We need to have eyes to see and to say to one another, look at what God has done. I mean, I know it's, I, I'm beating a dead horse when I go back to last year and the sale of our property, but who knew COVID was coming? God did. This morning, just sharing the the good news of the gift that God gave us. Great news. What about the people who've been saved? People who've been baptized? People. God has enlarged our numbers. He's added to our leadership team. Marriages are being restored. Lives are being transformed. God's word is being preached. Look at what God is doing. We have every reason to rejoice. I love how Peter describes his readers in 1 Peter. It's familiar to you because we've just finished our study. But in 1 Peter verse 8 and 9, listen to these words. His description. He says, though you have not seen him, that is Jesus, you love him. Though you do not see him, you believe in him. And rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Let me ask you, does that describe you? Despite being persecuted, these believers possessed an inexpressible, glorious joy. And it ran deeper than any problem they would ever face. The joy of the Lord is what enabled them to endure. It is what fuels us. It's what sustains us. Now, lest I be misunderstood, I am not trivializing troubles in this life. I am not espousing a a weak, wimpy theology of, you uh, you know, don't worry, be happy. I'm not saying put on a fake smile and don't let anybody know that you're really feeling miserable on the inside. But I am saying that if you know Christ, you have joy. It's there within you. Let it out. And this leads me to my final takeaway, our final takeaway, and that is we can choose joy. Psalm 118 verse 24 says, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. You know what that verse is telling you? It's telling God made this day, but we have a choice. We can choose to rejoice in it, Or we can go our merry way and totally forget all about God and all that he's done for us. There was a book out not too long ago. It's on my shelf in the office called Happiness is a Choice. Joy is a choice. The word rejoice is an interesting word. It is the verb form of the word joy. And there's a little prefix in front of it. R-E, rejoice. Joyce. Now, do you remember grammar school? Okay, probably not. But just think about all the other words you know that have the word R-E in front of it. I mean, just remember all those words, okay? I think you see where I'm going. The word R-E is a prefix meaning once more, or again, or a return So to rejoice is a return to joy. It is a choice that we make to come back to joy. It is an act of worship and it restores our strength and it renews our spirits. I think that's why James tells us in James chapter 1, count it all joy or consider it all all joy, or choose joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, if we were honest, we'd have to admit that sometimes the last thing we want to hear is a verse like that. When we're going through difficulty, when we are discouraged, when we don't feel like we have a reason for joy, to hear someone say, rejoice, just doesn't resonate. But what James is saying here is that we can find joy despite our discouragements when we understand the big picture. When we understand what God is doing and what he is doing is simply this. He is trying to conform us to the image of his son. He's trying to make us like Jesus. Last night I watched a Charlie Brown Christmas. Um, And I think I enjoyed it last night more than ever before. But right at the beginning of that show, Charlie Brown said this, I think there must be something wrong with me, Linus. Christmas has come, but I'm not happy. I don't feel the way that I'm supposed to feel. I just don't understand Christmas, I guess. And Linus responds by saying, Charlie Brown, you're the only person I know who can take a wonderful season like Christmas and turn it into a problem. <laughs> I think many people are like Charlie Brown at Christmas. But here's the good news Charlie Brown discovered that the source of true joy wasn't in the seasonal trappings or traditions and decorations, rather, it was in the birth of a savior who is Christ the Lord. So wherever you find yourself this morning, let me encourage you. It's okay to be joyful. And whether it erupts like a fountain or is a small, gurgling, bubbling burp, don't be afraid of it. Choose joy this Christmas. And may the joy of the Lord always be our strength. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for our time together this morning and for your goodness to us, for your mercy, most of all for your son Jesus, who you sent so long ago to be born in that manger, that we might have that joy, that good news of a great joy that would be for all the people. Lord, we thank you that now we are carriers of that joy. Lord, in the next couple of weeks, would you use us to invite others to experience what we have experienced, that they might have hope and peace and joy and love, even as we do. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.